everybody. Welcome to episode 28 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, and this week we'll be doing the usual roundup of fixes and vulnerabilities of the week, and we'll also be talking to our regular special guest, Joe McManus, about IoT security. All right, let's get into it. So this week, there were 27 unique CVEs that we fixed across the supported Ubuntu releases. The first one I want to look at is Samba. So this was one CVE that we fixed for precise extended security maintenance, Trusty, Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. So in this case, it was a Simlink path traversal vulnerability uh, in the Windows Registry Service Emulation Remote Procedure Call API endpoint. So basically, uh, Samba emulates uh, this RPC endpoint so that you can do you know, Windows Registry stuff uh, to it as a server. Uh, and in this case, if a local user asked to create a new registry file, um, they would be able to do that via this endpoint and it would get created anywhere that that user has uh, local permissions to be able to create within the uh, Samba share, even though uh, the Samba share itself may have been set up to try to restrict that. Uh, so if it was already set up as read-only or with various uh, access control lists, that kind of thing, uh, that would be able to be bypassed in this case. And uh, there was also the possibility that you might be able to create uh, this registry file outside of the share itself if there was already a symlink that was pointing outside of that shared area. So in this case, it was fixed by just removing the ability to create or restore uh, registry keys at all via the, uh, the endpoint. So yeah, that's been fixed for Samba. We've got an update for ClamAV, the antivirus scanner. So three CVEs here that were fixed for precise extended security maintenance, Trusty, Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. All of these were various file handling issues, uh, as we often see in things like ClamAV. So we've got two out-of-bound heap reads when either handling a uh, PE, that's portable executable uh, file format, which is often used for Windows or is used for Windows uh, XE files or uh, DLLs, and also uh, a similar thing but for PDF files. And because of these are both reads uh, in invalid uh, memory area, basically, you will get a crash due to a segmentation violation and a denial of service as a result. There's also a uh, out-of-bounds heap write when uh, scanning OLAY2 files. Uh, this is the old uh, format of Microsoft Office uh, documents. And again, uh, this would result in a crash and delay of service because you're writing outside a valid memory area, but you could possibly get code execution depending on how you can corrupt that memory. So yeah, they've all been fixed for ClamAV. We've got an update for the Lua interpreter. So one CVE here that was fixed for Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. There was a use after free that could be triggered if uh, someone was calling the debug.upvaluejoin method uh, with the same parameter uh, for the function argument in both the first and the second uh, parameters. So that's been fixed. Uh, next, we've got an update for systemd. So one CVE here that was fixed for trusty Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. This was reported to us by Jan Horn at Google Project Zero via Launchpad. Jan had discovered that you could get PolicyKit to authenticate various actions using the wrong policy based on the way that uh, systemd would configure the environment. In this case, uh, there's an environment variable called xdgseat, uh, which is used to basically uh, give a hint as to whether the, uh, the user is actually physically present or not. And so a remotely logged in user would be able to set this uh, and they would be able to then essentially emulate the fact that they were a physically present user, even though they were not. 
and then policy kit would you know, potentially authorize various actions that is meant to be restricted only to locally logged in users such as the installation of packages and that kind of thing uh, because systemd was not properly sanitizing that environment variable so this was fixed by just changing systemd to use the secure getenv uh, system call rather than just the standard getenv system call so that you know, when you're running that uh, under things like SU and the, the, that kind of thing, it would actually get scrubbed and you wouldn't be able to exploit this. We've got an update for OpenJDK 7. So one CVE here that was fixed for Trusty. This is just an information leak that might allow a remote attacker to possibly uh, bypass the Java sandbox as a result due to that uh, memory disclosure. So that's been fixed. So next we've got wget. So we've got two CVEs here that were fixed uh, for Trusty, Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. And one of these was also relevant for precise extended security maintenance. That's been fixed there too. Uh, this one was the heap buffer overflow due to improper memory, memory management. Uh, basically, it would fail to properly increase the uh, bounds of an array once that was full. So that's been fixed. Uh, plus, uh, by default, so, th so this was something that uh, actually got reported originally on Twitter. I think it was Hanobok uh, reported that... Uh, wget would store the uh, origin url that you had downloaded something from in an extended attribute for the file itself so let's say you downloaded the uh, latest uh, disco testing iso to do some uh, testing for the qa testing uh, that would then store the url that you had downloaded that from as an extended attribute on that iso file and you can read these using uh, you know from the command line using like get f adder that kind of thing the problem was that uh, wget would do this by default and it would include things like uh, credentials that were part of that URL, so username, password. That means then anyone that could read that would be able to see the credentials that had been downloaded with. So uh, a couple things were done here to fix this. The first one was that it was, uh, wget was changed to not store extended attributes like this by default. And the second one was to make sure that it actually stripped out these credentials when the, they were written as an extended attribute. And uh, as I mentioned before, this does not accept, uh, this does not affect precise extended security maintenance because the version of wget there uh, it predates this kind of functionality. We've got an update for Apache next. So this is four CVEs here uh, that are just for precise extended security maintenance. One of these I talked about in last week's episode, episode 27, which was a uh, bypass of the mod auth digest. Uh, and so that was covered then. If you want to hear more details on that, please listen back to episode 27. There were three other issues, though, that were also fixed. One of them is that Apache would generate a nonce to try to prevent replay attacks for HTTP digest authentication challenges. But the problem here was that it wasn't actually using, say, devUrandom to make sure that it was a properly random value. Uh, an attacker would be able to potentially replay uh, these uh, authentication requests across a cluster of servers that all use the same common digest authentication configuration. So this has been fixed now to actually use a proper source of randomness. There was also a possible out-of-bounds read, again, resulting in a crash denial of service, uh, and a possible one-byte uh, out-of-bounds write that could be done if an attacker had specified a character encoding of only a single byte long. So usually these are uh, specified as things like EN for English or say ENGB for uh, the you know, British locale variant of English. And Apache had code to try to fall back. You know, if it didn't have ENGB, it would fall back to just EN. And it would assume that this string was actually at least two bytes long. 
but in this case, if you provided a one byte long uh, value for that <laughs> encoding, then it would go and write a null byte, uh, one byte after your string. So you'd be able to get a one byte uh, heap corruption. So that's been fixed as well. Next, we've got an update for WPA supplicant and host APD. Five CVEs here that were fixed for trusty Xenial, Bionic and Cosmic. First one here, we fixed code path where it would fall back to a low quality pseudo random number generator if it failed to get an actual random value for a WPS pin. So that's been fixed. And as well, uh, there are multiple vulnerabilities here that were fixed in the implementation of WPA3. These vulnerabilities were given the name Dragon Blood by the discoverers. So you may have heard that. Uh, so two of these apply to uh, SAE, the simultaneous authentication of equals uh, method. This is also known as Dragonfly Key Exchange. Uh, these aren't relevant in our case because we don't enable this support in our builds. Uh, this is used you know, for the initial key exchange instead of uh, pre-shared key as is done in WPA2. But as I say, that's not enabled, so we're not vulnerable to that. There were four others though, however, that were relevant uh, to the EAP PWD, which is the extended authentication protocol password uh, part of the protocol. One of these was a cache side channel attack where a local user might be able to uh, discover the, the password that's being used. There's also a reflection attack that might allow an attacker to authenticate without using the password. Uh, but in this case, uh, they're not really likely to be able to derive the session key or complete the key exchange, so there shouldn't be any loss of confidentiality. However, that's kind of a moot point because there were two other vulnerabilities here where it would fail to validate uh, various crypto components. And so this could allow an attacker to actually authenticate and gain access to the session key and therefore get network access and essentially, you know, the whole uh, kit and dice. So yeah, they've all been fixed uh, for WPA supplicant. Next up, we've got an update for Ruby. So six CVEs here that were fixed for trusty Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. Uh, the first one of these was a symlink directory traversal issue. So this is the kind of thing that I guess we see in lots of different um, things that unpack various archive formats, but in this case, it was uh, the Ruby gem format. So uh, there was an issue here where it would, uh, when unpacking a gem, it would try to delete the target destination before say creating any new directory there or files there. The problem was that it wouldn't check if that was a symlink that pointed you know, off somewhere else. And so because you often install Ruby gems using sudo, you would then have you know, running as sudo, something that would go and remove anything where the symlink points to. So clearly this could be used to uh, yeah, delete arbitrary files or corrupt the system or you know, whatever you want really. So yeah, that's been fixed to make sure that uh, symlinks are checked for before it goes and blindly goes ahead and removes them. Also, there were five different code injection attacks that have been fixed. Uh, four of these were injection of terminal escape sequences via various debug code paths that would print to standard out, so they've been fixed. And one where it would go and try to eval the stub line of a gem spec file without first validating that. So that's been fixed as well. Finally, we've got an update for the RSSH package, the restricted uh, secure shell package. So three CVEs here that were fixed for trusty Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. All of these would allow possible arbitrary uh, shell commands to be executed, even though I guess the point of uh, RSSH is to stop that kind of thing. So it would basically bypass its standard restrictions because it would fail to properly sanitize environment variables and command line arguments when executing rsync, or in the case of uh, SEP, of various command line arguments to that as well. So they've all been fixed. Uh, it should be noted though that RSSH has been removed from the Ubuntu archive for Disco and probably going forward because uh, the upstream of this is uh, pretty much dead. And so it's not really being maintained upstream. So yeah, we're not carrying that anymore. 
Uh, but as I say, that has been fixed for the other releases, Trusty Xenil, Bionic, and Cosmic, and will continue to be maintained in those releases. Okay, uh, that takes us to the end of the usual discussion of vulnerabilities and updates. Uh, this week, I had a discussion with Joe McGimanis, our special guest on uh, all things security, about IoT security. And I started off by asking Joe about uh, recent ver- new variants of the Mirai botnet that had been discovered. Yeah, there was a new Mirai attack this uh, this week. It was a new variant, right? Because Mirai has been around. Um, everybody knows about it who's listening to this call. But just real quick, I'll make it like 10 seconds. Mirai was an awesome hack that used def- a list of like 50 or 60 default usernames and passwords to um, compromise IoT devices as well as switches and equipment like that and then use them to be part of a botnet. And then the source code was public and it's been changed over and over and over again to attack IoT devices. It's interesting. I, I think it... It shows how everybody wants to IP enable their devices now, right? But the goal is to make it as cheap as possible to be competitive in the market because right now security isn't the number one driver with most consumers. So we get these, I'll say, persistent bad designs. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, I guess. Um, as as open source, we have this kind of collection of bits, and anyone can kind of assemble those bits. You know, so if you want to make a little IoT device, you know, you can easily build a mm-hmm. kernel for that, and you can then install, you know, OpenSSH server or Dropbear or you know, pick your pick your SSH server basically, and then yes, you go well. How do I make this so that you know someone can log into it? So you set a default user and password so that on your instructions, when someone gets you know their home user, they know oh, I log into this as root root or admin admin whatever it is. Uh, but then that then leads to Mirai. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I have a Onion Omega 2 IoT device, and it's a really cool IoT device. They're like $9. They run Linux. You can run Python on it. But I was trying to secure it so I could actually deploy it somewhere. And it runs by default its own web server for configuration and multiple SSIDs. And um, I think the device is really cool, and it's fun to play with, but just, I couldn't easily Google hardening um guide for this and i wanted to figure out how to disable all this and i was like i just want to turn this off so i can deploy this but at this point i just i couldn't right it just it was not an easy task to do there was ip tables on it but it was a really severely limited version of ip tables um and and it just made it it made it pretty much untenable also i'd use firewall d which i don't like <laughs> that's interesting um not that you don't like firewall d but um that you that it, it was open enough in a way that you actually could um you kind of looked at it and went oh this is ip tables and i could try to harden this myself so maybe that's one benefit i i guess of um the linux ecosystem that we get these devices that at least have some commonality that we have half a chance as uh, educated and knowledgeable end users to try to harden but clearly for your average home user they're stuck right that's yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, to be clear, it's a $9 device. Onion Omega has amazing, or Onion, the company, has amazing guides and everything. So it's easy to use. I don't want to sound like I'm bashing their device. And it's, I don't think it was meant in, it, in, the, in the developer form I bought to go into production. But, you know, it's just kind of it exemplifies what could be happening. You know, you're a, you're a company, you're trying to make the cheapest IP camera you can buy so you can sell it on Alibaba. And so you buy a kit like this, it's got a default username of admin admin, and it turns into these hacking devices. I mean, I think like what's a, um, what's an Arduino these days? Are they like 32 megahertz? Maybe an ESP, I don't know, maybe an ESP32 or an ESP8266. Like they're crazy powerful devices compared to like the computer I started running, uh, using um, 
when I got into computers. I ran WWIVBBS on a four megahertz 8088, right? Um, so like this thing is way more powerful than that. And that's why they're great machines to be pulled into these botnets where you have so much compute power that's kind of sitting there that they're, they're great for this. But people seem to have forgotten the lessons we've learned over the last, you know, I'll say 30 years of information security. You know, their default username and passwords, no firewalls, um, no, no baked in update mechanism. You know, it's it's you set, you put it out in the market and they're never updated. So vulnerabilities exist for years. Um, people still fall down to do sloppy coding. You know, they they don't really build any. You know, they build a slash admin page for the web UI, but you know they check your they they have a login page, but they actually don't check that you're logged in if you got past that page. So it's like, I've seen things like that. They're really not not well made. A lot of these products that go out. Yeah, and as you said, the uh, the market doesn't value security yet. And hopefully it will. Um, I've heard talk that you know maybe the only way that we can do this is to regulate, uh, you know, IoT security, right? Because the market isn't demanding it, and consumers don't have the um, they don't have the the knowledge really to know that this is a problem, right? And at the end of the day, there's maybe there's not enough cost still to consumers, right? If your device gets hacked and it's being used in a botnet, uh, if it's still doing what it's meant to do, if it's your home router, right? And it's still actually routing traffic for you at home, and you know you just notice, oh, things seem a bit slower now. I don't know, maybe you're none the wiser, and it doesn't matter. But um, yeah, it is an interesting yeah. thing, right? Yeah, well, I'll just say, I'm, I'm much more a fan of the free market deciding how that goes, just because, you know, you'll see with some government regulations, they can be dated, so they're addressing a problem, because it takes a while to put it in place. So, you know, they may be addressing a problem that's two years old. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. If your router's still routing, it's not your problem, right, for the average person. I, I talked to some folks at a, at a large ISP, and they were saying, you know, they provide these routers from the, um, from the ISPs, and they were saying, we're almost thinking about having a separate um, IoT uh, SSID built into these that people can use and that will be throttled and that will be monitored so we can detect these things. They were suggesting it. No, they hadn't done it, but they were trying to come up with a solution because some of the cost to them as far as lost bandwidth is just gigantic. Yeah, that's really interesting actually. Um, yeah, I do wonder uh, as a yeah, if you could segment things as an end user, yes, and then help your ISP, you know, it's, it's on some separate VLAN right at their end then they can, yeah. That is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, I don't really know the answer to, to this. Um, I think it's a really cool question though. But also, you know, if most of your, if most of your IoT stuff is behind the firewall, like this isn't a problem, but the stuff we're seeing compromised is routable on the network. Um, you know, with a whole, it's just, it's to me, that's, you know, it's a problem that'll be very hard to solve because it is just junk stuff that's deployed and put on the network. I think we saw, um, another, was it a, a D-Link or maybe TP-Link, um, some link router this week that had a um, that had a bunch of vulnerabilities that were found. I, I really should Google that. Um, and well, it's, that it's, every, it's every week, Joe. You know, it, um, <laughs> you know these things are you know uh, like we said, you know they're they're in, um, coupled together in a Linux system that uh, never gets updated, or if it gets updated, it's a firmware image that you as the end user have to download and then use some uh, web form to manually update it. They don't auto-update uh, there, and it's a, yeah, it's a single single image that makes it the whole thing kind of a lot harder. Uh, like you said, what we really need is auto-updates. We need kind of mm-hmm. fine-grained updates as well. Yeah, Something like maybe an unattended upgrade? Yeah, well, if we have unattended upgrades in Ubuntu (laughs) or uh, we have, you know, obviously we have Ubuntu Core and that has uh, upgrades built into it. I was 
Um, I think we might leave the talk of Ubuntu Core for another week. Uh, but Absolutely. We, um, yeah. we could we? go on forever and ever about we this. Could. I think, we could. Yeah. And, and maybe if anybody wants us to, I'm more than happy to, but I think we'd, I think we'd lose what listeners we have. Um, but after we talk about Ubuntu Core, I, I'd love to talk um, another time about the digital forensics challenges of IoT. I think it presents a whole new problem space for folks to, to do audits after, you know, after incident on these embedded devices. And so that'd be kind of fun to talk about too. Totally. When, yeah, when it's an appliance that, um, yeah, certainly has different uh, operating conditions than your standard PCs or, you know, your standard end user devices. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting, actually, for a forensics point of view. That would be great to talk about. Well, thanks for uh, talking to me about IoT stuff and everybody, thanks for listening. I'll, no worries. Uh, I'll end our conversation for now. <laughs> okay, thanks for that, Joe. Yeah, we'll speak to you again in another week. So, in other news, we are still hiring. The Ubuntu security team is looking for an Ubuntu security generalist. So, if you have an interest in Linux and security and you want to help make your favorite Linux distribution more secure, I urge you, please apply. And we're also looking for a robotic security engineer. So, if you have an interest in ROS and experience there, and in particular want to help shape the way that security is done in ROS going forward, I urge you to please apply for that position as well. And I've got links for both applications in the show notes. Okay, that takes us to the end of the episode. As usual, if you would like to get in contact, you can reach the team at security.ubuntu.com. Or you can find us all hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. Or if you want to get us via Twitter, you can reach us at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks again for listening, everyone. Remember, until next time, keep calm and enable automated upgrades, and I will speak to you all soon. Bye.